0: A new family move into their beautiful country home in the eastern United States. As fall approaches, the leaves begin to change from their lush green color to shades of orange. The sisters run off into the house as their parents unpack to play a game of hide and clap. Sisters go hide as one sister finishes counting. Blindfolded, the sister moves throughout the house. She listens intently for the claps of her sister. And as she calls out, the basement door behind her slowly creaks open, and a voice responds, I want to play. This is It Records. Welcome back to the It Records podcast, everyone. Thank you for joining us here over the internet highway, internet airwaves, whatever you want to call it. I am one of your hosts, Matt Johnson.
1: It's the Wild West of the internets. Uh.
0: That's pretty good. That's pretty good. (laughs) Uh, I always default to internet highway. I don't know why. I'm like 70 years old, I feel like.
2: That's what all the kids are saying.
0: Well then, so this week on the podcast, if you didn't pick it up from the intro leading into it, we did the 2013 film, The Conjuring. Directed by James Wan, written by Chad Hayes and Carrie Hayes. It follows paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren, where they work to help a family terrorized by a dark presence in their farmhouse. That's the general synopsis you have of The Conjuring, based on a true story. I get my own room. Oh, You get really? my own
1: Um, let me, let me try with pleasure I Clap I'm gonna get you now I can hear you breathing You took your blindfold off! I win! I was in Christine and Nancy's room!
2: Girls, it's way past your bedtime.
0: So this week, uh, I believe this was Lindsay's pick for the podcast, correct?
2: Yeah, that's right.
0: Let's griller. Why did you pick this movie? Is <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, let us know.
2: <laughs> it's a simple reason. Um, I remember, like, it came out um, when we were in college, and I never saw it then. And then last year. Um, Started watching it with some friends, fell asleep, didn't remember anything about it. So now seemed like a good time to, you know, stay awake and watch it. So, um, this is actually the first time I've seen this movie. So, it seemed like a big, you know, kind of modern classic. Um, you know, we'll talk more about, like, uh, The Conjuring Universe later. But, uh, there's a lot more to be seen, so I wanted to get, uh, kind of started with that personally.
1: Okay, I respect your answer. <laughs> sure. So, Thanks, Pete. have Have you seen it then as oh, well? Oh yeah, I saw it uh, opening weekend.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Had you seen it before, Matt? I'm I'm gonna assume yes.
0: I think I think I did as well. <laughs> I I believe I saw it the opening weekend. If not, I saw it in theaters when it came out. Um, I remember going to see it.
2: I remember everyone talking about how it was really Mm -hmm. scary. So that was something that kind of drew me to this too. Like the paranormal, um, within it.
0: Yeah. Um, and with that, we can kind of, um, launch into the plot if we will. Um, it, it follows in 1971 is when this film starts. So it's in the past based on a true story of Ed and Lorraine Warren. And, It follows uh, Caroline and Roger, is it Perron? P-E-R-R-O-N, I think it's Perron. And they move into a a house in Rhode Island, um, and soon strange things begin to happen. So they move in, they have five daughters, Andrea, Nancy, Christine, Cindy, and April. I got all those listed here. And uh, a dog, Sadie, as well. And the first real instance that we get that something is up is uh, their dog, Sadie, uh, refuses to enter the house. Uh, And that's always kind of, I feel, any indication in a film is the dog or the animal really kind of notices the presence before everybody else does. It's kind of that first warning a a lot of the time.
1: That's why you bring your dog when you buy a new house. You'd be like, if if it doesn't go inside, you're like, okay, uh, realtor, uh, I'm going to pass on this one. So you could keep your truck in front of it, and I'm not gonna let you reveal it at all. What was that show they used to do? That was a like they would like redo your house, and they had like a huge truck blocking it.
0: Do you remember this? Oh, with with like Ty Pennington, show? right? Uh, uh, home makeover. Re- uh, is that it? Yep. Yeah, that was. Oh, it. yeah, yeah. But I'm pretty sure that was it.
2: Extra, yes. Yeah. Extreme. Yeah, it's like
0: move that bus.
2: That's still
0: two thousand. They would all move. (laughs) Like,
1: leave that bus right there. Yeah,
0: move the bus back. (laughs) I mentioned with the family moving into the house. uh, One other thing that I noticed: they're all kind of unpacking. That's how it starts. The dog doesn't want to enter. Um, but. One thing I noticed, and I wanted to see if you guys kind of saw it as well, the way James Wan filmed the house was, I feel like it was that downward angle shot, and I got similar vibes to, like, Amityville Horror, which we've done on this podcast, where it kind of made the house feel like it was a a presence of its own.
1: I mean, I could definitely see that, since it, like, it also, like, I mean, it was the film took place in the 70s, which is when Amityville Horror took place um and i feel like he chose like to film i don't know if he shot it on film but it had like an older look to it so he at least like yeah. added special effects post or maybe used film to make it look like an older movie
0: yeah he did that's a good point
2: yeah i bet that was done yeah on purpose and drawing um Comparisons to Amityville Horror, which is interesting because that's something else that uh, the Warrens were involved with. Um, so yeah, I don't think that was an accident. I'm not sure. In homage to the, with
0: the, the other movies, in the movies I
1: guess? did the Warrens have a part uh, with, with in this one, the Amityville Horror movie at all? No, like when we, in not not the real life people. I'm talking about like did were their characters of the Lorne's in Amityville Horror at all. I don't think there were, right?
2: I feel like they weren't. But I'll get more into that later with my trivia.
1: I'm sorry, I took it away from you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. Just a little (laughs) preview.
0: So, to kind of get back into the plot, uh, I mentioned they're unpacking. The the sisters are playing a game of hide-and-clap, which, if you don't know, is I, it's kind of like Marco Polo. Instead of calling out Marco and saying Polo back, it's, you clap. Someone's blindfolded, and you, you go and hide, and they clap to kind of give you an idea of where they are. And you can clearly see that's going to foreshadow other events later in the film, um, the hide-and-clap uh, with any sort of like haunted house film. But it leads us to a boarded-up entrance to a cellar. Where one of the sisters kind of backs into because she was in a closet, and the father figure comes and takes down the entrance to turns out a cellar, which is any horror no no. There were those boards were there for a reason. Don't be don't be taking those boards away. Which then they they head downstairs, and it turns out that there was just. Uh, it looks, when they get to this basement, a bunch of things left behind, almost Cabin-in-the-Wood style. The film where they go down and find what will be their, their ultimate demise. There's chairs, a piano, there's wardrobe down here. It's like, did you even do a house tour
1: when you bought the house? Like, come on, you gotta open every door, you gotta check every drawer, and turn on all the faucets, you know... It's standard procedure. Yeah, basic stuff. Come on.
0: Yeah. Number one, bring your animal. Look in the shower. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Step number two: cut on Ivy faucet. Mm-hmm. Open every drawer, and you're good. You know, you, you know your house is haunted.
0: Look for boarded up crawl spaces. Exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Fucking rookie. But go on and plot w- with uh, so, with Act One since we are <laughs> stopping. Yeah,
0: video. back to Act One. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, okay. Uh, act One it it's your typical sort of exposition build up. We learn about the family and their dealings in the house. Um, what happens? There's some few activities in the first nights where we start to see the clocks are start stopping around 3:07 a.m. Um. There's birds kind of flying around the house and the dog is found dead in the backyard Uh, as well as it seems like one of the sisters is sleepwalking. Uh, These incidents start to happen throughout the house um, that makes the mother believe that there's something beyond um, what she can grasp and possibly something paranormal going on in the house. So I think that's about the end of Act 1, the setup of all those kind of spooky hijinks that are set to ensue later in the film.
1: I would say Act 2 is when stuff is like kind of like, you know, noticing like a problem. They're noticing all this weird shit. I believe. Let me be jump in the gun a little bit here. Um, the mom is like attacked, would you say, as, around this point? Uh, they kind of kick things off to why they have the investigators come in. Um, the moderating the situation and the whole, I would say that's like a good half of the movie of all this huge act of like all this like set up for the,
0: for the finale really.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Act 2 is always I feel like those a lot of the moments they show in the trailer where it's kind of like the build-up, as you said, to the finale, but it's all those kind of jump scares or attack scenes or someone's getting dragged across the floor um, where thing really starts to build tension.
1: I would say the, like, an act two scare that really brought my attention, obviously when the mom got attacked and uh, you see, like, the ghost, like, floating in her field of vision is fucking terrifying. Um. And in the um, I want to say this is also early on in Act Two is when, the two, I don't know if they, I don't know they they all like look the same the daughters. I think there's two of them. They're in the same room, and then they're like see, and They like I see something in the corner. Like that whole sch- shtick is uh pretty scary.
2: <laughs> mm, yeah. Because, like, and since they were the kids, no one else was seeing them, right? That's true. Because it was the whole, like, who's, yeah. Or I might be thinking of the music box, which I'll get to later. Um, But, yeah, like, since they're kids, they're, you know, more innocent, you know, uh, minded. So they're seeing this stuff more, I think, than the adults are. But the adults can see, like, the effects of what's happening. There's no denying that.
1: Yeah, it's true at all. Yeah, that's weird, because, like, it's, uh, it's starting to get into spoiler territory. There's, like, almost two sets of ghosts in this movie. Like, ones that are, like, kind of lingering, um, and ones that are more...
0: Within the house? Evil, I would say.
2: Um, Is Act 2 when... Lorraine kind of figures out like what's been like hanging out at the house, or is that more Act Three? Would you say?
1: I want to say that's probably when Act Three probably starts. Like that's like, like what you talk about when she figures out like
2: what's been like. Yeah, so I would say that's out. when
1: our Three kind of kicks off. Because that's when stuff really unfolds. Okay. Unless I'm jumping the gun a little bit.
0: And you're saying when Lorraine figures out, like, that what's behind all this, is that kind of you're saying is the beginning of Act 3?
2: Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: It would seem like from that point f- further, it, like, yeah, that's, yeah, things start to unfold that kind of were questions in Act 2. Like, what What's behind the door in the kid's room? Um, what's sure. what's behind the music box and things of that nature? Which we could talk about that if we need be in. Mm. in. In Act Two, I I thought that was a very interesting bit. Uh, is the introduction of Ed Lorraine Warren, which I I could be wrong, but there are several films outside of the Conjuring universe and within, that I feel like are based on a true story. But this is, like, one of the first times I feel like Ed and Lorraine Warren were characters within the film. Like, they weren't in Amityville Horror where they were, like, a central character.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Because, like, they've obviously had other, like... I'm assuming they were popular in the 70s because of all... The investigations they did, I'm sh- I'm sure there's books out there that they did. Um, but yeah, they never really had a role. I wonder if they like specifically uh, turned that down, and then the reason they were put in the movie because like they passed on, and whoever has reigns over their <laughs> likeness, you're like yeah, hey, you know what. You can make a movie about them though. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's a good point. I never thought about it like that. But they also offer when we meet them they give us some rules that uh rules of possession. Which is or rules of like a ghost or a spirit or a demon. They're demonologists, is what they call themselves. Demon But the rules are mm-hmm. infestation, oppression, and then possession. It is how it happens in a, in a haunted house.
2: Yeah, they give, like, lectures on this stuff. Like...
1: I wonder if it's, like, stuff that actually, like... Yeah. Did teach in real life, and it is like, took from real life. Because it was, like, so developed that it just worked very easily in a movie. Because, like, you're like, here are the rules of the movie that we're gonna follow. It was just a nice, like... Right. Cut and paste if it was real life.
2: I wouldn't
1: doubt it. So I would say we could probably fully spoil this movie, since I feel like mm-hmm. it's kind of... we're, like, kind of tiptoeing r- around.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. it's It's <laughs> been six years. Get over it. Watch it. Pause it right yeah. now. Yeah. And watch the movie. <laughs> Alright,
2: fair warning. Um... So that being said, moving into Act 3, um, now Lorraine is the clairvoyant, so she gets a lot of these, like, um, you know, I guess visions. I don't know how exactly to describe it, but, um, that does help aid her kind of in, uh, what her and Ed do. And, um, I think it was through possibly that and, like, her research that she found out that, uh, what's been plaguing this family and their house, um, doesn't matter where they go. Um, you know, the spirit's always going to be there. Um, so it's not a matter of moving. But anyway, um, she finds out that, uh, the house itself actually used to belong to an accused witch, uh, Bathsheba. Um, and she actually, um, sacrificed, like, her weak old child to the devil and then killed herself, um, back in, like, the 1860s. Um, and then she was cursing all of whom would take her land. So this is, uh how we find the um, parents in their current uh, situation. Um, So diving in, um, there's like the cellar kind of going into Act 3 where um, I think one of the kids was like lured back there or something like that. Um, So Lorraine tries to like go in after and then she actually falls through. um, And that's where she sees like the spirit of the woman woman possessed and killed her own child, um, and then right after that she gets a vision of her own kid, Judy, um, and water, and she's taking that as a bad sign, um, and, uh, her kid actually gets attacked by Bathsheba through the Annabelle doll that we see earlier in the movie, um, so somehow, like, Ed and Lorraine get to her, they save her, but then they're, like, back at the house, um, where the mom, Carolyn, gets possessed, um, and, you know, during this whole time of the buildup, you know, they're trying to get approval from the Catholic Church, um, to perform this exorcism because they're seeing that it's very dearly needed. Um, but they've got to the point where there's not enough time to wait for that. Like, they have to do it now. Um, so Ed actually starts performing that exorcism, um, on Carolyn and, um... I think there gets to be one point where Carolyn like wants to kill one of her daughters, April, um, because she's possessed by Bathsheba, of course. Um and this is like I love when something small happens in like earlier in the movie and what you think is something small and it actually turns out to be like some sort of turning point or motivating factor later on in the end. Um in this case, um Lorraine kind of calls back to the time that Carolyn shared the speech memory with her. Um, you know, the whole family was out um, enjoying just a beautiful day. and She told Lorraine how much it meant to her. So she kind of like uses that memory to call back to Carolyn um, while she's possessed. And uh, that's kind of what allows Ed to finish the exorcism and saves the family and lifts the Bathsheba's curse forever. And, um, So that kind of ties things up nicely, I think, in the end. Um, And then, of course, like, once the Warrens get home, they get the approval that they were waiting on from the Catholic Church. Um, And they recover the music box from one of the daughters. um, And uh, it starts playing again. So that kind of gives you, like, a there's a whole conjuring universe that's coming. And a foreshadow, I guess you could say, at the end. That's
1: what I got for Act 3. Have we seen... Like, I know, like... There's so many to the the Conjuring universe. Like, you got the Nun. You got the... Obviously, Conjuring 2. Um, Annabelle. The doll. It's like its own thing. Is the music box... Has that been explored yet? Is that... Like, who was that linked to? I don't remember.
0: From this film, it was linked to I believe his name was Rory, which was the kid who played Hide and Clap and was the young girl's imaginary friend. Because when you looked into the music box, Rory is what Mm -hmm. Lorraine saw. So I think it's that it was maybe Rory's toy, and Rory is attached to it. Which Rory was one of the spirits in the house, who I don't think was an evil spirit at all. I think really it was Bathsheba was really the only evil evil spirit there.
1: Because, like, the dolls, like, in the beginning of the movie, it's not not a part of the the (laughs) the the whole house situation, right?
0: No, there's like a whole five to ten minutes of Annabelle I think they were just, like, kind of, I guess
2: laying the groundwork for
1: Mm-hmm. which has like three movies now? Isn't it? Isn't there like, there's, like Annabelle and it's sequel and the is there like another one like announced? <laughs> well,
0: I mean, we're, we're, we're about. talking about the universe. We kind of go, at least at this point, into sequels and remakes. As we're kind of right there at that point. Um, Pete, do you know of the larger Conjuring universe? Or the Ed and Lorraine Warren universe if there's any new films
1: like uh do you want like I mean obviously like the main movies because there's a sequel con- a stru- uh, like a not a direct sequel but The Conjuring 2 takes place in like England like at the field I believe uh, haunting there's a third one slated to release next year and then the first spin-off was Annabelle. Then that gets a, a sequel. Then The Nun, which I believe is, like, a ghost from the second movie. Um, And there's, like, The Curse of La... La I can't even say it. La Lona? It's like a... Yeah, I yeah, know what you're going for. It's like a... Is it a Mexican, like, folklore? Is that what it is? La Lorena. And right then, now. like, and then Annabelle. Pff, Annabelle has three fucking movies. Annabelle. Yeah. And then Annabelle comes home. Annabelle comes home as the third movie. And then yeah, in that, franchi- in that franchise. So you got you got a full on MCU going on for the <laughs> Conjuring universe. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, there's three full Annabelle's in there. And the third one just came out not that long ago. In terms of horror significance, I have I used to do this very religiously in the past. No puns religiously for exorcisms in this film or anything like that. But I used to do it as like a segment all the time. But I kind of want to get back to that and kind of see where it fits in the horror genre uh, or sub-genres for that. Um, in doing my research... I I, I kind of want to get your guys' opinion as well. What subgenre it falls into? Because I think it could fall into several. Um, one, it could be paranormal and, the, and ghosts, with Bathsheba. Bathsheba. Uh, um, of course. Haunted house. Um, the it has it seems to happen within this one house. Subgenre of possession. Uh, there is a possession in this film and an exorcism. But also a fourth subgenre of witches, because Bathsheba is said to be a witch uh, who comes back and basically lures people to kill their offspring. So I was kind of curious what subgenre when you first go see the Conjuring do you think it falls under predominantly?
1: And I feel like the easiest thing is that you say like supernatural or paranormal is the easiest to wrap it under since it kind of covers all those bases. Um, I would say of all the ones that you. Kind of mentioned fit, fit it pretty well, except for witches because, like the even though Bathsheba is like the main ghost, I feel like she's not really like a strong focus because it's just like uh, not much is really said about her character besides that she was killed and that her offspring was like sacrificed. Like it's just like you know the mom is possessed by this really
0: fucked up ghost that was a witch (laughs) that was also my feelings about it and it was just funny because as I was doing research yeah go ahead Lindsay were you saying something
2: no I was pretty much going to agree with both of your points Um, for me probably um haunted house probably one of the bigger themes here that I would but
0: Yeah, we'll we'll just stop there Yeah, Yeah, I I I agree with what you said, Pete, as well about witches, I mean, she's a witch but it's not really the main driving force of the film, I just found it interesting in my research that some people were putting that in a subgenre of witches and I said, that's interesting I guess it's true, but not really, and I had a a tough time between I would go towards the, the paranormal side, the demon side uh, but it does have the haunted house elements to it uh, but I, the main difference I would see between at least uh, it being a haunted house and paranormal is the difference really between Amityville horror I felt like both of them have spirits quote unquote that will are sticky I think it's what they said in this film it sticks to you um, and they leave the house so when you leave it's it's with you but with yeah. like Amityville Horror I never really kind of saw a spirit or it wasn't identified as a spirit it was like in the basement there was a dimension to hell and so it was like the house was haunted and this one feels like it's Bathsheba so it's more like that demon subgenre uh, paranormal
1: I also feel like that kind of storytelling like like especially with paranormal like movies is that uh, I think James Wan kind of, I don't know if he started it with, like, Insidious, like, how it sticks to you, but that was the first time I remember hearing about it. Of like, kind of giving a different spin on the on the genre, because I feel like it always was, like, if you left the house, like, it was fine. Because, like, there was, like, Poltergeist, you had The Entity, all those movies in, like, the 80s and 70s were always, like, the house was what really what the problem was, and, like, and they never left Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. You know, mortgages are pretty ironclad.
0: Let's see here. So to kind of round out the horror significance, we talked about the subgenre, but I will mention Ed and Lorraine Warren. um, They're classic paranormal investigators. Whether you're into ghost stories or if you're into horror genres, the horror films in general, you probably have heard of Ed and Lorraine Warren, so it's another one of their tales. So... We know of the two Conjuring films and all of the other Conjuring Universe films that Pete mentioned. Those are all Ed and Lorraine Warren cases, but there's also uh, The Haunted and The Haunting in Connecticut, which are based on Ed and Lorraine Warren cases, but are prior to this whole new universe coming out. And it also falls into that loosely based on a true story genre, like the Blair Witch tried to do, but where it's marketed as this really happened. So it kind of entices people to go and check it out.
2: So with that, I'm um, we to to some trivia. Yeah, trivia! Um, and me touched on this a little bit earlier, <laughs> but yeah, it's true. I didn't know this. Um, you can just uh, cut that part out um, where I was speaking. Um, so... I don't know, actually like, had real life encounters that inspire the Amityville horror film franchise. Um, you know, we've discussed this. I can't remember exactly when. Um, it was a while back. Um, so that was something I didn't know. And no, I don't remember them being characters in that movie um, at all. Um, I would actually never heard of them until this movie. Um, and then, of course, it kind of like piqued my interest when, of course, I saw like the based on a true story um but yeah so i didn't know that and as uh, i think pete said pointed out that it was you know pretty close um in, t- in proximity of time um in the 70s early 70s i want to say so um that's kind of good to know and then um I read on IMDb that when this movie was shown in the Philippines, um, some of the theaters actually had to hire Catholic priests to bless the viewers before watching it. Um, This was because some of the viewers were saying that they had a negative presence um, after watching it. And so the priests actually also provided like spiritual um, help to these people that were saying that. So I think that's pretty crazy. I don't think I've ever heard, um, I mean, yeah, there was The Exorcist that had a pretty, uh, drastic effect on people, so maybe that, but I've never heard of this happening with any other movie. And this is more recent, too. Yeah, that's
1: true, and, like, I know there was, like, little gags that people, like, like with Spielberg, not Spielberg, Alfred Hitchcock, they would have, sometimes they would have, like, barf bags, or, like, they would have a doctor present, I think, mm. for Psycho. To make sure that you like, I don't know, it, like if your heart stopped hmm. or so, I don't know. They had like a lot of weird shit like that, and it's funny that that like, it's probably just not as practiced here anymore. That's just like, um, I don't know what it is. Uh, maybe it's like we're not as superstitious as we used to be. I don't know if that plays a factor at all.
2: <laughs> yeah possibly desensitized, because... Yeah. feel
0: like we, we got the, the internet, with can these check certain things, we we a lot of
1: movies like this coming out.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's interesting, because in, I think I, I read when... It's an R-rated film, and James Wan, like, kind of argued against that. He wanted a PG-13 that... Uh, James Wan wanted a PG-13 rating, and they gave it an R for those sort of reasons. There's no real scene that would make it R, like, gore or blood or anything, but they just said it was, like, very creepy images that were very unsettling. <laughs> so it's R. Like, it just really made us feel uh, terrified, so you're yeah. an R rating.
1: <laughs> yeah. I actually remember that. Like, I remember it being, like, like, kind of, like, a big deal because, like, Obviously, with PG thirteen, you can make way more money, um, and the fact I was just literally rated R for being scary. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's kind of a compliment if you go. Yeah, for... that was
2: actually like my uh, third uh, nugget I wanted to share with you guys. <laughs> but yeah, like they were told, like based on the scare factor alone, like there was nothing that they could cut or edit to make it PG thirteen. So. I think the studio kind of folded and accepted it for what it was. Um, but yeah, totally. I think they were trying to reach a bigger audience uh, box office wise, making it more like PG-13 friendly, but that was not going to happen. So uh, yeah, it, that was just some trivia for you. And uh, and yeah.
1: All right. And it made a shit ton of money, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> If you didn't guess at all, if I ruined it for you.
0: Yeah, I think You're it was a flop, wise. big time flop. <laughs> <laughs>
1: what, what would you guess, the flopness? <laughs> what
0: would I guess, the flopness? <laughs> uh, if I'm really guessing, I know it was a success, but yeah. I have no idea. I'm going to guess that it made, I really have no idea, $150 million. That's my guess. That's what it made.
1: Off of uh, what kind of budget? Twenty million. No, yeah, I know. But what's your budget? Get? How about you, Lindsay?
2: So it was made on a fifty million dollar budget. Okay. And it made like two hundred million.
1: Okay. Matt, you're right in the money with for budget, twenty million dollars. And made three hundred and nineteen wow. yes. and a half million dollars at the box
0: office.
2: Wow. Damn. Yeah,
1: this movie made some money for a yes. rated
0: R movie. That's why we have a whole universe. Uh, I
2: think that's spells success. Money speaks.
0: Yeah, seriously, it's
1: it sparked literally an entire universe of movies. <laughs>
0: Kind of before we round it out here with our, our normal Defender Destroy uh, We wanted to do this segment called Monster in the Closet uh, working title uh, Monster in the Closet It's just this segment where we've talked about trivia. We've talked about sequels box office and the plot but really What's one thing that kind of stuck with us after we? Uh, stuck with us not stuck with us. what stuck with us after the film That's kind of lingering with us, uh, that you really kind of just want to mention and make sure we kind of get in the podcast. So I can go first if anybody doesn't really have one. Um, I'm, but feel free to jump in if you'd like to go first myself. Okay. Um, well, one thing I kind of have one and a half, um, if I can, uh, (laughs) one and (laughs) a half. I'll allow it. Um, (laughs) The one thing I can't really let go or what is it, uh, Monster in the Closet, is the Annabelle doll. Uh, I think this film is really kind of about the the one family in the house, and the movie really starts off with Annabelle. It's this doll where we get this whole backstory that Ed and Lorraine Warren and went and talked to these college kids, or these, I think they're nurses, or, or I forget exactly what they were, but they're young, young kids, and they kind of took on this doll that... They put a a spirit into and it kind of leads up. That's like the first five to 10 minutes of the film. And then we we learn that it's in the Warren's house in this like demon treasure chest room where they keep all their possessions locked away so no one can touch them. Um, And now we know that there's a whole Annabelle universe. They've made three films. But when I watched it, I was really hoping that something more was going to come of Annabelle. I thought there was going to be something else there, since they brought it in at the beginning. She was brought. She was there a little bit later, when her daughter was home alone. But I just found that really curious that they took the time. Oh my
1: to... god, that part was fucking terrifying. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> when the daughter's alone. Yeah, that's um, a good one. And, yeah.
1: Yeah, with the and rocking chair and like the the, the... the dolls, like looking
0: yeah yeah it's good and it's a it's a good scene because it's in parallel with something that's happening at the other house as well so the tensions are high Mm -hmm. but I'll wrap up my monster in the closet with my half Um... uh, which I will expound upon in my Defender Destroy Uh, Peter Peter and I we uh we did a podcast, a mini episode earlier that was uh, about overrated or underrated, um, and this film uh, was was brought up by one of us as either overrated or underrated. So that's one thing that I, I was thinking about watching this film, and I'll leave it at that. I'll bring it up in my defender destroy.
1: <laughs> you you brought it up. <laughs> it wasn't me.
0: <laughs> what and that?
1: I, just, I don't remember. I don't. I actually don't remember. <laughs> i thought it was you that if i'm remembering correctly i think it's you that brings it up and i don't remember your opinion <laughs> about it
0: okay you are correct i brought it up I'll, I'll give you that but i'll i'll leave it for my defender destroy <laughs> of what i what i said about it
1: my little takeaway from the movie is that um it's pretty scary <laughs> And it has, like, really good jump scares and regular scares. Like, it's got a lot of tension. And that's really about it. It's a, it's a very good movie to watch.
2: That sounds like a Defund.
1: I didn't say that yet.
2: <laughs> okay. Alright. But Fair But,
1: uh, yeah, you're right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, um really quick, um, for me, like, Monster in the Closet, um, I liked the music box. I'm going to bring it up again. Um, you know, again, like, with Rory appearing to the most psychologically vulnerable, um, so, yes, it's going to be the kids. Like, they do show a couple scenes where the adults try to see him in the mirror of the music box, and he doesn't show up. Um, so, and I think, again, like, the use of it in the end, like, foreshadows that there's a whole lot more where um, that's coming from, so I liked the use of that. Um, And uh, that would be my monster in the closet for this movie. We can move on to Defend and Destroy whenever y'all are ready.
1: You already heard mine as a Defend. (laughs) With no 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 explanation that it's it's a...
2: Yeah, you know, I think we should uh, build some (laughs) suspense for uh, whatever you're going to say. So uh, I'll go f- first, and then we'll wrap it up with Matt. <laughs> um, so for me, um, I don't often actually get chills from horror movies. Um, I like to think I can withstand a lot, um, but this one made that possible. Um, especially, like, the curl at the very end um, from Ed. Um, I thought that was everything. And uh, great direction, story, writing, acting, um, it's some of the best that I've seen. Um, I would say in this decade for horror movies. So, um, and I don't. It's it's tricky. I think, but movies that are almost like two hours or are two hours. Um, but but this one, like I think the pacing was really good. Didn't seem like it was slow at any time. So it's going to be a defend for me. We got two defends.
0: Was well, Peter you defended and then it? Matt how to defend. yeah okay. I
1: gave a little quick I was just like I defend with no explanation why
0: <laughs> okay fair enough um, so I, I guess I'll lead into it um, with Pete and I did a podcast a mini episode of overrated and underrated films I brought up this film did I believe it was overrated or underrated do you guys want to take a guess
2: Okay, look, I remember this episode, like, I listened mm. to it. I don't remember what you said, but I have a feeling it was
0: Aren't overrated. This one overrated, Peter? Do you have a, a guess? My
1: heart says underrated because I love this movie so much, but you sometimes break my heart, so you also... you. I'm going to say you also find this movie
0: overrated. Well, in that podcast, which was... Uh... Probably over two years ago now I did say I said overrated I said it was overrated at the time Uh, And I remember during that discussion Pete uh, was very adamant About how wrong I was With thinking it was overrated at the time (laughs) Um, We had a discussion about it So I I went into watching it now With an open heart uh, Because it's been a while since I'd seen it To that point Um, Now I will still defend my decision. I think it's overrated. I will say that. Uh, I I think what I just noticed a lot of the same elements that I saw in like Poltergeist or Exorcism and it was kind of just or Amityville Horror and it was kind of just like rehashed uh, in this film rather than like repurposed like Insidious was for uh, I felt that was kind of fresher. Uh, But that doesn't mean I'm going to destroy the Conjuring. I I still will defend the Conjuring. Uh, I do think, yeah. I, oh, okay, good. I'll def- <laughs> I'll defend the Conjuring. It uh, it it does have a lot of uh, scary elements to it, from the from the jump scares to uh, the possession scenes. Uh, it, it it holds a punch, and I think. It creates a, a terrifying atmosphere. That's why some people are really scared of it. I, I just do stand by my stance that it was overrated. I, I don't think it's as, as great as the praise it gets. But it's a defendable movie. I defend The Conjuring. So, yeah.
2: I like it. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I spit in your direction for calling it overrated. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, it's now it's it's on the podcast, so it's, it's frozen in time forever. <laughs> but with that, you'll get a unanimous defend from everybody here on the 2013 film The Conjuring and one overrated. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you for tuning in today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's been fun. Uh, I appreciate you guys listening. Um, get at us on Facebook and Twitter. Let us know what you're thinking. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Let us know of any movies or mini-episodes you'd like us to do. Uh, Keep on top of any sort of horoscopes or blogs we'll have on the website, uh, SoundCloud, anywhere you listen to podcasts. But subscribe to us as well, or leave us a review. That really helps us uh, get new viewers uh, who haven't listened to us yet. And really love the horror genre as much as us and as much as you. But until next time, I'm Matt Johnson, and I will remain in the shadows of the Cellar Basement. That
1: was good. My name is Peter Hansen. If anyone here is overrated, it's Matt Johnson. (laughs) (laughs) Woo!